Hello and welcome to Disenfranchised. We are, yes, we're that podcast, the, the one that you like. Uh, weekly, we record episodes about uh, movies that should have been franchises or could have been franchises, but somehow weren't. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy. And, oh, what's that in the distance? I don't know, but it's getting closer. Oh, it's coming in for a landing. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stephen. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's, it's going all right, man. Um, good deal. Feeling, feeling pretty good because I got to relive some of my childhood with this movie. Yes, absolutely. The nostalgia came back in flooding waves, and I was very happy for it. Uh, what movie are we talking about this week, Brett? Uh, we are talking about the 1991 movie, The Rocketeer. 1991's The Rocketeer, directed by Joe Johnston, starring Billy Campbell, Jennifer Connelly, Alan Arkin, Timothy Dalton, Paul Sorvino, Ed O'Quinn, I'm sorry, Terry O'Quinn, uh, John Polito, and uh, the, uh, oh, what's his name? Tiny Ron, Tiny Ron himself. And uh, just honestly, a murderer's row of, oh, that guy character actors. Uh, Margot Martindale's in there. Uh, man, what a great cast this movie has. What a great cast this movie has. Yeah, you know, when I watched it as a kid, I didn't really know that. But, look, you know, going back and watching it now, uh, yeah, this cast is kind of insane. You're you, it constantly you're like, oh, that guy's in, oh, that guy's in this too? Like, every person that shows up, you're just like, oh, my word, I forgot that so-and-so was in this. And it's it's so good. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're here to talk about uh, the 1991 uh, pulp superhero movie, The Rocketeer. Uh, and why are we talking about The Rocketeer this week? Oh, well, that would be because for the month of December, uh, we are going to be highlighting Disney Plus films for Disney Plus December. It's Disney Plus December. So we're, we've been at this for less than 20 episodes and we're already into our second theme month. What are we thinking? But it's Disney Plus December, so every movie that we talk about this month, and there's going to be five, because there's five Thursdays in December this year, uh, we're going to be talking about a different film that is available to stream on Disney Plus. So uh, go out and get yourself a Disney Plus subscription. We're, You know what? They're not paying us to say that. You don't have to if you don't want to. But know that if you, we both have it because of The Mandalorian. So, you know. Yeah, and I mean, really, honestly, get it for that. Um <laughs> Watch these movies if you want, but go watch The Mandalorian. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks, but uh, uh, still, sure. Hey, you know, Mando. we we like The Mandalorian. We've we've I'm sure we've both been keeping up on it uh, regularly at this point. I know yeah. I have. Yeah, I assume Brett has as well. Hundred percent, man. Every we Friday, don't, we don't really have Mandalorian discussions. Of all the things that we do talk about, Mandalorian rarely comes up in conversation. as, as much as you'd yeah. think it would. Well, you know, we, we I wouldn't say we both like Star Wars. I, I like Star Wars. Steven is I will we'll get into my feelings on Star Wars one of these days, I'm sure. Um I have I have a very complicated relationship with Star Wars. And and I'll talk about why. <laughs> one of these days I'll talk about why. Uh but not today, because today we're talking about The Rocketeer, uh, which is um man, what a fun movie The Rocketeer is. I had a it good is. time with this movie. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, I, I expected I to it. I expected to go back and watch it and be like, man, this is not as good as I remember. Uh, but I Same. was wrong. It's real good. It's just as good yeah. as I remember. Yeah, and it, it kind of bums you out that it didn't get a franchise. But we'll talk about some of that 
uh, here as we go. Um, but first of all, let's. Uh, so you you mentioned liking this film as a child. Did you see this film in theaters? Uh, are you familiar with the Rocketeer comic book? Like, what's your history with this uh, with this film, with this franchise, with this character? Uh, so here's the crazy thing: I don't remember if I saw this in theaters or not. I feel like I did. As much as I was into it as a kid, I had to overrate. But uh, I wasn't. I wasn't too familiar with the comics. Um, I, I, it's, it's really weird. I can remember being obsessed with this movie. Mm-hmm. but it it's it's that weird time frame where like i was young enough where like i can remember it was a thing mm-hmm. but i was also young enough where i don't have much of a memory of like did i did i go back and read the comics or did i see it in theaters i don't remember those things it, it's but i do remember i was really into it i remember i played the video game i had um the single toy that they released there wasn't like a whole toy line or anything as odd as that which was. is a bummer yeah um this thing was made for a toy line oh it was but there was like there weren't any that i that i know of you get the helmet the jetpack, all the action figures man yeah you get, like, i totally buy whole... a neville sinclair action figure <clears throat> you get the bulldog diner playset. um okay it's, you know it'd be great absolutely giant blimp playset. yeah dirigible playset. you get like the uh the the plane um little howard hughes action figure for you know all the kids that grew up wanting to be howard hughes as i mean i know that's what i wanted when i was a kid sure as a howard howard hughes action figure absolutely lothar lothar would have lothar was made for an action figure <laughs> yeah they, dude isn't isn't that guy in dick tracy <laughs> no he's not really? no uh, wow. But I remember thinking, even as a kid, seeing this movie and thinking, that looks that mask looks like something out of Dick Tracy. It looks like a Dick Tracy reject is really kind of what it looks like. Just the way that the prosthetics kind of hang on Tiny Ron's face. And Tiny Ron is a dude, I don't know if you guys know who Tiny Ron is. He is, he is like, that's what he does. Like, he shows up and he's just this giant guy who wears lots of facial prosthetics in TV and movies. Like that's his thing, and he's great at it. Um, he played the the uh, Grant. I'm a big Star Trek nerd as well because, of course, I am. He played the Grand Nagus's like right hand man on Deep Space Nine, uh, and he's great. As the speaking of Deep Space Nine, um, the actor that plays Rom is the guy that gets um, the guy that has the rocket at the beginning, who stashes it in the plane. Quark's brother Rom. Which oh. I only I only knew after looking at the credits for this movie because he's always I've only ever seen him in the Ferengi prosthetic. I didn't know what he looked like as an actual human person uh, until I saw this movie, and I'm like, oh, it's it's Max Grodenchik. Great. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I mean, that just yeah. this leads more into the look at all the that guy actors in this movie. So many that guy actors. It's so many people. So stacked. Like I'm sitting here watching this movie, and it's got this stupid grin on my face just because I'm like, there's just so much great acting happening in this movie. It's it's so fun. I loved this movie as a kid. We actually, I did not see it in theaters because we didn't go to theaters much when I was a kid. Um, part of that uh, strict religious upbringing of mine. We did end up going, but it was, uh, it didn't happen at that, at that point in time. I think by, at that point we'd been to see a movie in theater. Uh, one of these days you might find out what my first movie in theater was, but as of right now, don't know why you might need to know that, but. Um, well, why not just tell us now, though? Well, I guess it is December. Uh, my first movie in theater was the Sam Elliott A Vagoda film Prancer. Was the very first movie I ever saw in theaters. So there you go. Interesting. Tis the season for 
tis the season to be reminded that my first movie was Prancer uh, that I saw in a movie theater. I'm not entirely sure I even know what movie that is. So yeah, it's it's fine. The only reason I know what it is is because it's the first movie I saw in theaters. It was it's ridiculously forgettable. There you go. All right, right. fair Uh, enough. We actually uh, had we did grow up with cable though, and we had a VCR. So I remember that we recorded this off of one of those free Disney Channel weekends. Oh, nice. Uh, Because yeah, these would uh, after they went to VHS, they would premiere on TV on the Disney Channel. Uh, so we recorded it off of one of those. So I had it and I watched it quite a bit as a kid. Uh, we, I was actually how I watched a lot of movies growing up was uh, stuff that we would record off of various television stations when it was like on, like on a Sunday afternoon or or something. We'd just pop in a VHS and we'd record it and we'd go back and watch it over and over and over and over. Um, yeah, we uh, we actually had the Disney Channel because we were I don't know. I don't know why. Independently wealthy? Somewhat, um, I guess. <laughs> uh, must be nice. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I watched a lot of, this, that may have contributed to why I was so obsessed with Rocketeer, because I could just watch it all the yeah. time, all the time on the Disney Channel. Well, so could I, because we taped it. Well, sure. Yeah. But, you know. A lot of the movies that I watched as a kid had, like, the uh, the bumpers of, you know, like people coming on and saying, you know, you could get the Disney Channel all the time if you just call this number below and pay X amount per month. Um, so a lot of the the movies that we recorded off the Disney Channel when I was growing up had that lead in or after. Um, but uh, so I remember that lady vividly. Uh, but yeah, so that was how I watched The Rocketeer a lot growing up. It was uh, my first exposure to a lot of these great actors uh it's probably a contributing factor as to why uh jennifer connelly has been uh such an enduring crush of mine forever um i love jennifer connelly i probably mentioned that briefly on the alita episode but we were talking about a lot of other things but i love jennifer connelly and it's probably because of this movie to be quite honest with you (laughs) because i didn't Uh... watch the labyrinth growing up i didn't really watch um the Dario Argento film Phenomena. So this was easily the first thing I saw her in. Yeah, I would definitely uh, say this and Labyrinth for me were, uh, were what solidified uh, the Jennifer Connelly crush for me. Yeah, big fan. And, it, you know, she's also a stupendous actress. So that that's all of that great. Um, big fan of Jennifer Connelly. Bonus points for that. So, yeah, let's uh, let's get into the movie itself then. Uh, and I guess we're going to have to do the plot of this film. And uh, you know how we do the plot of this film, Brett. I do. We do the plot in 60 seconds, uh, which means I will flip uh, the coin of justice, the only recurring bit on this podcast, <laughs> uh, the coin of justice. I will flip it. Brett will call it in the air. And uh, that will determine who of us has to recount the plot of 1991's The Rocketeer in 60 seconds or less. Uh, are you ready, Brett? Uh, no, I never am, but let's go. All right. Call it in the air, friend. Tails, buddy. Oh, I didn't know this app. Had, I have the volume on my phone turned up. I didn't know this app had sound effects. That's funny. Oh, how cute. Uh, uh, it's heads, though. So, hey, hey, hey. Well, you know, what else is new? You, you, you win some, but mostly you, you lose some. Pretty much. Um, so, Brett, you are the one who is to recount the plot of the 1991 film the rocketeer in 60 seconds or less i have one minute on the clock let me know when you are ready sir (sighs) 
we should really just make this whole segment me recounting the plot of a movie. Just, you know, I mean, we can do that if you want. We just forego the formality. Um, or we could just switch off, and I do one one week, you do one the next week, and back and forth. Yeah, but that's not as much fun, let's be honest. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Your time starts now. All right, so Cliff Secord and his gang are preparing to test fly a new plane uh, to make the national competition. Um, when the the test is interrupted by some thieves trying to get away with a rocket pack that they stole from uh, Howard Hughes, um, but they lose it and they find the so Cliff finds the rocket pack um, and decides to keep it and hang on to it uh, for reasons. Um, Thirty seconds, and there's a movie star guy that's trying to find it, played by Timothy Dalton, and. Um, He's got some mobsters with him, and they're trying to hunt it down. And Cliff puts a pack on, and shenanigans happen. Turns out Timothy Dalton's a Nazi, so they fight him on a blimp. And ten seconds, and then they decide to give the rocket pack back to Howard Hughes, and Howard Hughes gives him a brand new plane. And that is time. Yeah, I skipped a lot in the middle there, like I usually do. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, you put so much effort into the beginning, and then I call I it thirty do. seconds, and you're like, "Crap, let's just skip like <laughs> five. Go. Let's just skip like five or ten scenes and jump to the end." I mean, you, you got most. It's it's not a plot heavy movie. The action is pretty straightforward, pretty simple, pretty contained. It honestly is kind of, to my thinking anyway, the platonic ideal of what a superhero origin story should be in a film quite frankly i mean all the action everything is very clearly set up all the roles are very clearly set up you know who your hero is you know who your villain is like you know who your villain is before you know what his motivations are like you see him talking to the mobsters like so right away you know before he has any other scenes doing anything else neville sinclair timothy dalton you're the bad guy like it's very straightforward very cut and dry there's no trying to pull the rug out from under you because at this point there haven't been a great deal of superhero origin stories. Not really. No, not in the early nineties. Has there even been, I mean, there have been obviously, but like, yeah, not, I don't know. This is sort of like, this is very, this feels very proto proto MCU, you know, because this, the phantom is another one. Dick mm-hmm. Tracy, probably another one. Um, you Dick know, Tracy comes out the year before phantom, I think is the year after. Yeah. So is is around this time, you know, that we're doing this like pulp as a shadow, you know, pulp heroes mm-hmm. from pulp heroes from the forties and fifties, even though the rock Which, isn't from them, but he's right. based on them. He is. But still. My favorite thing about Tim Burton's Batman movie, even more than the movie itself, um, nineteen eighty nine, the Batman. Um is the fact that Hollywood's response to the success of that movie is not let's green light more superhero movies. It's let's green light more pulp heroes from the thirties and forties. So as a response to Batman, you get Dick Tracy in 1990, you get the rocketeer, you get the shadow, you get the phantom, like all of these movies, all of which are ones we will talk about on this podcast because none of them spawned franchises like Batman did. And it wasn't until significantly, I think it was probably, it, it would have been much later that superhero movies, like traditional superhero movies, even started to get made. Um, and then, of course, it's 97 when the bubble burst, which we talked about that a little bit on our Constantine episode. 
97, the bubble kind of bursts with um, Batman and Robin is the, the movie that kills the superhero genre uh, only for it to be resurrected two years later with X-Men. So do with that what you will. Yeah. Or three years, but yeah. Hollywood's relationship with superheroes is weird. It is. Um, and, and at this point, this movie kind of looks on, on one hand kind of looks quaint uh, because it's the kind of superhero movie that unfortunately doesn't get made anymore. Like these days, the superhero movies are, it's like blank, but with superheroes. Like that's the MCU's whole approach is Ant-Man is a heist movie, but with superheroes. Captain America Winter Soldier is a spy movie, but with superheroes. Like it's always blank, but superheroes is, is kind of Feige's whole approach. And that's what audiences seem to want to see. That's what puts butts in seats. Unfortunately, I, well, I guess not. Unfortunately, it it's, it works, and they're, right? They're, and I mean, you and I are MCU fans. Like, we don't disparage the MCU at all. We've we like those movies. Yeah. So you know, I can't really be mad at that. But you know, but it's still at the same time you you know you watch something like the Rocketeer or even the Phantom. I remember really liking the Phantom, probably because I really liked Rocketeer. Um, I've got a lot to say on the Phantom. One of these days <laughs> when we cover the Phantom, I'm gonna. I'm going to have some fun with that because that's that's a movie I saw in theaters. And so I have a very fond relationship with that movie, despite the fact that I know it is bad. Uh, same. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, you know, it kind of makes you, I don't know if I want to say nostalgic or just just pine for just a straight superhero movie. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, at the same time, I guess The Rocketeer is what, like a, a World War Two movie, but with superheroes. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a period piece. It's a period superhero film, which itself feels kind of novel. Um, but there's a reason that the director of this film, Joe Johnston, was tapped by uh, Marvel to direct Captain America, the first Avenger, um, which is another superhero film set right around this time frame. Joe Johnston has a really innate ability to do period stuff let's actually let me go ahead and run down his filmography real quick while we're talking about him um he actually was a a vfx guy back in the day he actually worked on uh, star wars like the original 1977 star wars and its two sequels like he did vfx for them he did vfx for uh raiders of the lost ark and he did vfx for the tv show battlestar galactica so that's how he got his start in hollywood uh, was working on uh, some some really good movies as a visual effects artist. Um, his very first movie that he ever directed uh, is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So Holy crap. Yeah, he's actually directed a lot of movies that we grew up with, like movies that we loved as kids. Uh, he directed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. His next movie was The Rocketeer. He directs an episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which is a show I remember loving as a kid. As does do I. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. Uh, then in 95, he directs Jumanji with Robin Williams and Kirsten Dunst and Bonnie Hunt and David Allen Greer. It's a great movie. Jumanji. We all know it. We all love it. In 99, he directs the Jake Gyllenhaal film October Sky, which was filmed in the place where we live, Indianapolis, Indiana. There's a there's a scene in the movie that takes place in Indiana, and they legit filmed it in downtown Indianapolis. And then he directs Jurassic Park 3. This is where the bloom starts to come off the rose a little bit. 2001, he directs Jurassic Park 3, um, which at one point was maybe the worst Jurassic Park movie. 
Uh, now it is a solid third in the Jurassic Park rankings. A uh, solid third. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's another franchise that probably could have stopped after the first one and been perfectly okay. Yeah, Michael Crichton agrees with you. Or agreed <laughs> with you, rather. Sure. R.I.P. Uh, in 2004, he directs the Viggo Mortensen horse movie, Hidalgo, uh, which I have never seen. Uh, remember seeing trailers for it, but never actually saw it. Um, and then in 2010, he directs a failed franchise starter, one of those attempts by Universal to uh, reinvent their brand, uh, a movie we will talk about, the Benicio Del Toro, Anthony Hopkins, Wolfman movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's another period piece. So we've got The Rocketeer as a period piece, October Sky as a period piece, uh, Hidalgo, and The Wolfman. There's four period pieces already. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, he did the live action sequences for The Page Master. Holy crap. Uh, with Macaulay Culkin yeah. and Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. No, I love it. That's yeah. not one I loved as a kid. Uh, so the year after Wolfman, he does Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, and then in 2014, he directs the movie Not Safe for Work, uh, which is one that I am not familiar with. Uh, it looks like it is a thriller that stars uh, Michael Gladys. Oh, the uh, the guy from uh, Mad Men, the guy that looks like Orson Welles from Mad Men. So there you go. There's something. Uh, and then his most recent film is a movie that we will cover on this podcast sooner than later, uh, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, uh, which he is one of two direct credited directors uh, on that film. Uh, it actually was not developed by him. We'll talk about his involvement with that film when we get to it. Uh, but him and Lasse Hallstrom are the two credited directors on The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. So... Um, a, a really weird career. Like his nineties though are absolutely unimpeachable. Like you cannot say anything bad about his 1990s. They are fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I knew I recognized his name. I didn't know how well I recognized it. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. Like you can, you can like just set up and just watch his whole filmography and you'll have a great time. Um, I mean, at least through 1999, you'll have a great time. Honestly, early 2000s Jurassic Park 3 in retrospect not as bad as I remember it being when I was a kid my wife is a big fan of the Jurassic Park franchise so we have we've watched the whole franchise many times yeah I uh saw the new well I don't know if you'd call it the reboot or the continuation or whatever you want to call it it was Chris Pratt I watched the first one yeah I didn't didn't need to see anymore that's kind of where I fell as well my wife did see um Fallen Kingdom the last one that came out don't think she had as good a time with it um she and i are kind of of a mind on that franchise but we own the first three on uh, on blu-ray and dvd uh and we revisit them once every year every couple of years so uh sure. every now and again she'll just start humming the jurassic park theme we actually uh animaniacs just re-released new episodes on hulu that's what uh, i was about to say i was about to say that as well uh, i was watching the first episode and they have that jurassic lark uh preview or uh, I guess cold open to the show. And I'm sitting there watching it and just big old smile on my face. And I like, why do I hear the Jurassic Park theme? She's in the other room. Why do I hear the Jurassic Park theme? And I was like, oh, it's, it's Animaniacs. They're doing a Jurassic Park parody. And uh, it was great. If you haven't watched the new Animaniacs on Hulu, it's a, it's a highly recommend from me. 100%. 100%. Highly recommend from me as well. I know we're a movie podcast and you come to listen to us talk about movies, but there's two TV shows that we've recommended to you on two different streaming services. So. Go subscribe yeah, to those. We do other stuff. You know, we're well-rounded nerds. We watch TV. We read books. 
We are vast listeners. We contain multitudes. Indeed. I, I do more of those things. I, I play video games as well. Steven watches just movies on movies on movies. I, I mostly just watch movies. I do. I just finished the Halloween franchise last week. Uh, finished the Stig Larsen uh, Millennium franchise last week. So I'm just, that's, just, that's just what I do. I watch movies. And I got this week off work. So guess what I'm going to do? Watch more movies. I'm going to watch some movies. I'm probably going to get some stuff done around the house. But I'm also going to watch movies. Both for this podcast and for my own personal edification. Heavy air quotes on edification there. But yeah. Sure. But hey, speaking of video games. Yeah. Um, Tell me about this Rocketeer video game you mentioned. This Rocketeer video game. So it's time for Brett's video game corner. Um, <laughs> Great. I'm going to take a nap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it was an early 90s Nintendo game. Uh, so it was, it was pretty straightforward. Also super hard. Uh, so I never really got very far. But Is it I, like I a was, side scroller where you kind of have to like fly him up and down? Is that kind of what it, it was? Or? Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, you use the rocket pack for platforming um oh, okay makes yeah, sense so, uh and you know you shoot you shoot dudes you know because the, the iconic image is him even though he only had, does it once at the end of the movie mm-hmm. the iconic image is him with the, the gun him with the yeah the with the light it's like a luger or something like it's very sleek looking gun oh yeah it's a german pistol it's a yeah. world war ii era german pistol um deluga yeah, so yeah, you know, you shoot Nazis, you fly around. Um, but, Which is, know, by the way, the appropriate response to Nazism. Can we just say that? Oh, I mean, that goes without saying, really. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, is you know, is okay. Video game is okay. All right, it's, so it's that, just okay. This has been Brett's video game corner. Yeah. It was okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. <laughs> um so i remember one of my uh things that i remember as a kid uh i went to i've been to disney world one time in my life and it was when i was probably about 11 years old uh and when we did the mgm studios tour of uh on the back lot they had a replica i'm sure it wasn't the same one because why would it be in orlando florida they had a replica of the bulldog cafe uh, and I was so excited to see this replica of the Bulldog Cafe. It was a full-size replica, looked just like the one in the movie. Like, it was the, th- besides the DeLorean from Back to the Future, uh, I think they had one of the models from Back to the Future 3, and the van from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it was like one of the things on the tour I was most excited to see, um, because it's a movie that I knew very well. Um, so I was very, very stoked to see the Bulldog Cafe. And what a cool design. It's it's a building that looks like a dog. Yeah, it's very, like when you see it, it, it almost feels out of place at first. But then mm-hmm. you, you remember that like, well, this is based on a comic book. And that feels very much like a comic book like thing. It's like we have this very uh, ornate, we'll say, uh, cafe that looks like a bulldog. It's great. I'm incredibly jealous that you got to see like it in person more or less. Yeah, I mean, I was on a, a tram and it was, you know, not on the tram, but uh, no, it was really cool. Uh, one thing uh, I will say is the Bulldog Cafe is it's so such an iconic image in part because it's the very first image you see in the comic book. So I haven't really read much of the Rocketeer comics, but I did pick up a couple issues for uh, this episode and kind of read through them uh, in the very first issue, at least the very first issue that I picked up. The very first thing you see is the Bulldog Cafe. Um, and apparently the creator modeled it after 
the fact that he and I think it was he and his family or maybe his father's family grew up in a building that looked like an ice cream cone. And so he was kind of inspired by by that uh, to make the Bulldog Cafe into a building that looked like a bulldog. But, you know, it's it's a cool, such a cool design for a building. The, it's functional. The eyes are actually windows. So when people are in the attic, which I'm assuming is the living space, people are in the attic with the lights on. You, the eyes like look like they're glowing, like they, you've taken a picture of a dog and it's got red eye. Like, it's cool. It's such, a, it's such a cool design, and it really helps to kind of set this movie apart in a lot of ways because it gives it a very unique visual style. Yeah, which the movie itself has in spades. It's very stylistic. Very Art Deco, like so Art Deco. The the club scene in particular, Paul Sorvino's club, is like none. Paul Sorvino the year after Goodfellas, so Paul Sorvino. But that that club is just Art Deco on Art Deco. The design of the helmet, super Art Deco. Um, they're actually the poster for this movie is reminiscent of the poster for Fritz Lang's Metropolis, which is very like 1930s German, like super. Art Deco and its design. Really, really cool. Um, but that, I mean, it reminds me of those 30s movies, which is what it's intended to do. It's supposed to remind you of kind of those Errol Flynn swashbuckling movies from the 30s, which are great. Yeah, which gets very heavily referenced in this movie. Uh, Errol Flynn, by the way, one of the inspirations for uh, Timothy Dalton's character, uh, Neville Sinclair. Yeah, which you I can absolutely tell. I don't even really... I'm not really that familiar with Errol Flynn movies mm-hmm. or as an actor in general outside of his sure. name and how popular he was. Right. Uh, but even I knew that. Even I could tell, like, heavily influenced. Heavily, heavily influenced. Uh, so inspired by Flynn. There actually is a, a biography of Flynn uh, that alleges that he was, in fact, a Nazi spy. So, like, very clearly based on that actor. Okay, yeah. not No longer inspired, based on. Right. <laughs> right. Actually, so that's uncorroborated, the, the, the bit about him being a, nat- a Nazi. That's uh, Charles uh, Higham, Hyam. I'm actually not sure how to pronounce it. H-I-G-H-A-M was his biographer. It was Errol Flynn, The Untold Story. So that may have been like sensationalism to sell books. I don't know. But that aspect of his character certainly inspired that aspect of Neville Sinclair's character. Uh, that alleged, I should say, aspect of his character. But that's why... He's not straight up called Errol Flynn, even though, I mean, the movie that they're filming at the beginning, The Laughing Bandit, that's that's straight up an Errol Flynn swashbuckler movie um, with the dialogue and the, the sword play. I mean, that's that's obviously what that is. So he's very clearly an Errol Flynn type, at least. Yeah, and that's not, it's not like they shy away from name dropping other celebrities of that time in this movie. W.C. Fields and Clark Gable are in the movie, or yeah. at least actors portraying them. So. Right, yeah. So, yeah, in this, because he's the main character. Uh, but uh, I have to talk about Timothy Dalton. Um, I, I have to, because I've, as I mentioned on the last episode, I've been rewatching the Bond movie. I think I've mentioned on the last couple of episodes, because why Why not? I've been rewatching the Bond movies, and uh, I got to Timothy Dalton's, and I would have to say he might be my new favorite Bond. He's really good. Um, and he is at this point in time, uh, in 91, still attached to the Bond franchise. Uh, his last Bond film is 1989, Licensed to Kill, uh, which to my mind is not as strong as his first Bond film, but that's neither here nor there. 
he is he does not become unattached from the franchise until I think ninety two ninety three, uh, and that's when they start talking to Brosnan about filling in and and doing Goldeneye. But at, for all intents and purposes, he is James Bond. So it's really fun to see Timothy Dalton, who is by all accounts James Bond basically playing a bond villain like it's really fun i had i i like timothy dalton he's done a lot of good stuff but for my money he is never better than when he is playing a scenery chewing villain like so much of this i'm reminded of what he does even bigger and even better in hot fuzz like just he goes so big and so broad in that and it's so perfect but you get like the genesis of a lot of that stuff in this role and i love i love him those might be two of my favorite Timothy Dalton roles, period. Um, he's great. I love him. Yeah, I'm not, you know, as mentioned, I'm not as familiar with his Bond stuff. Um, but, you know, I know him from this. I know him from Hot Fuzz. And, yeah, he's... Uh, I wonder, I would have to wonder what audiences thought of him playing a villain so soon after playing James Bond. I got to know what people thought. Well, people didn't really show up for this movie, sadly. Like, that's the great tragedy of it is like critically they liked it audiences though just didn't show up it's considered a box office flop like people just didn't come out for this movie sadly which is tragic because it's so fun so critics liked it and audiences didn't am i wrong uh i believe i've said that pretty consistently brett um from the jump but now i'm glad you're catching up and coming to the party (laughs) i mean it had to happen eventually but maybe I, I should mean, just I should look at this point. I should just double down on it, right? Critics I mean, bad. Critics bad. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, I I changed my mind. This movie sucks. No, this movie is great, and critics were right about it. Audiences tended to not be. But it, it, here's, I mean, it's it's a fun movie. It's really great. Honestly, this is a weird one. So the thermometer score. We haven't quite gotten to this point in the podcast yet, although we can start working our way there soon if you want. But the thermometer score and the audience score on this one exactly the same 65 percent, which is rare it, it that usually the audience score is way higher than the critic score but for this one it looks like this is one that audiences have eventually caught up with and kind of recognized how good it is whereas critics have kind of all along gone yeah that was a good movie interesting usually it's the other way around usually audiences are like this is a good movie and critics are going eh, and then later they'll go you know what i was wrong about that and a lot of critics do do that but uh but this is one i think it, it kind of happened backwards a couple things I do want to talk about is Disney had some plans for this movie. Like uh, they were already talking about sequels. Like uh, to hear Joe Johnston say it, uh, the movie opened on uh, June 21st. He said on June 20th, they're talking about sequels on June 22nd. They aren't like just like really quickly turned around on this movie. Once the, the uh, audiences uh, didn't show up for it. Um, which kind of sucks, but they had big plans for, they were, they were planning at least a sequel, maybe a trilogy based on these. Um, like this is, this was going to be a temple for them. Like Dick Tracy was also going to be. Um, but again, we're going to get to Dick Tracy. That's one that I'm sitting on. And I think I've said that on, on, on air before, but I really love Dick Tracy and I don't want to just go through a bunch of movies. I love right off the bat. Cause then I'm just left with piles of movies I don't like. So I'm saving that one for, for later. Because I yeah. do love it so. It's it's real upsetting that they had so many plans for this. It's like because I remember they they pushed it really hard. I remember there being a lot of. That's it, why. That's why I'm almost curious if there's like a toy line I didn't know about. 
because uh, like it seems like they were pushing it really hard and really like you said had a lot of big big plans. Yeah, but but they're not so good on them for not dropping some kind of a sequel hook uh, or anything like that. This movie ends definitively. Like mm-hmm. you, you can you could do stuff afterwards. Yeah, but it has a definitive end that doesn't give you any sort of you know what else could there be other than right. you know World War Two is happening and Nazis are a thing. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's very self-contained. It takes place in 1938, so a few years before the U.S. at least entered into World War II. Um, but the war is happening in Europe. Um, the threat of Nazi of of Nazi Germany is very real. But I mean, yeah, it's that that kind of specter is looming. So the sequel: Do you do the Rocketeer actually fighting in World War II? Uh, do you do set it like a year, uh, like maybe a year later, two years later, when the U.S. hasn't quite gotten there yet, but it's pretty much inevitable? Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff you could do in terms of a sequel. But right, good on them for not assuming, even though that was, for all intents and purposes, the plan for this movie. Yeah, the the uh, rare case where they just had a cart and a horse. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, and one wasn't before the other. One wasn't in the other. It's just nope. Good old Carson Hort. Cart, yep. heart, heart, cart. Words are hard. <laughs> Horse and carts. <laughs> oh, great! I love it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we've, I mean, we've talked about most of the stuff I wanted to talk about in this episode. Um, well, I, I have, a, I have a question for you. Something yeah, go talk for it. About. What happened to Bill Campbell? Man, that is the million-dollar question. So let's take a look at his career real quick. I've got his IMDb page pulled up. He's more or less doing, been doing TV for the better part of the last 20 years. But this was his breakout, more or less. So I read that he was in a renaissance fair, uh, basically working in a rent fair. So he had a beard. He had long hair. Uh, when his first meeting with Joe Johnston, that was kind of how he looked. And then this film just kind of went through development hell. And I can't really figure out why. Something that I read was that the the screenwriters and the studio had conflicting ideas, but I can't get a sense for what those were. So, mm. but in between, like he picked up the comic and read it, uh, in like during that time, and realized how much he looked like the character. So he shaved his face and cut his hair, and he walked in and he saw the look on Joe Johnston's face, and he's like, "All right, I got a shot," because uh, he looked so much like the character so right after this he does what is probably his biggest movie um and probably the other one that you and i know him from uh which is uh quincy morris in bram stoker's dracula francis ford coppola's bram stoker's dracula he plays the american one of the of the suitors of lucy holy crap that is him isn't it yes it is oh my god that's billy campbell or bill campbell as he was then um, he's in The Night We Never Met and Gettysburg in 93. He's on a TV miniseries, Tales of the City. Uh, he's on a, a recurring role on a TV show called Moon Over Miami in 93. Under the Hula Moon in 95. Like, a lot of these are movies I've never heard of. Um, TV movies, a movie called Lover's Knot, a movie called Mino's Mind, The Second Jungle Book, Mowgli and Baloo in 97. Like a lot of these are just movies that I've never even heard of. So it looks like he's got this really great one-two punch and then just immediately goes into obscurity. Um, I guess one, two, three, because Gettysburg was pretty big, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then 
he kind of languishes in obscurity for a while. In the early 2000s, he's got a brief resurgence. Uh, he's in the late 90s. He's on a show called Once and Again, which I vaguely remember the title of that show, but nothing else about it. In 2002, he's in the Jennifer Lopez thriller Enough, where I think he plays like Psycho Boyfriend. Uh, and then the following year, he's in the epic Gods and Generals uh, as General George Pickett. Uh, he's on the OC for about a year uh, in 2005. Uh, he's on the the show The 4400. He is in the Ricky Gervais film Ghost Town. Like just, I mean, just, it seems like the guy just doesn't know how to pick projects. It, it, I mean, just, just from kind of looking at his filmography, like, because there's a lot of stuff here that I just have never heard of. And nowadays, he's mostly just doing TV. Well, I mean, good for him for keeping working. Sure. Uh, oh, there's something. This is interesting. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so apparently, and this I didn't know, there is a Disney television, an animated TV show called The Rocketeer. A girl inherits the persona of the Rocketeer, and with the help of her gadget-building friend, they tackle epic adventures. Billy Campbell is on this show as a character called Dave Secord, who I guess is the original Rocketeer or a son of the original Rocketeer. Like it's kind of a mantle passed on. So he's Dave Secord. And then the, the girl on the show is Kit, K-I-T Secord. This actually, I saw this on Disney Plus when I was looking for the Rocketeer. I didn't think anything of it. But apparently this is related to the movie. Huh. To the, down to them casting Billy Campbell as a character on this on this show. Interesting. That's pretty he's, cool. They he's not a regular. He is, uh, it looks like he's a recurring. Not a re- He's been in eight of the 22 episodes that have aired. But uh, but yeah, Billy Campbell, Dave Secord in uh, in the Rocketeer television show. So there you go. There's uh, that's Billy Campbell. So what happened to Billy Campbell? I don't know, man. It seems it seems like the guy's either very bad at getting projects or he's come close to stuff that he just hasn't gotten. It looks like there have been a couple of he's had a couple of like little brief waves, but uh, by and large, it doesn't look like uh, he's really ever gotten too too much of a chance to step up. Honestly, this movie not doing very well. And uh, is, is probably a big part of why he didn't become bigger faster. Uh, had this movie, I think, done better, or had he followed it up with something uh, a little bigger, then I think perhaps he'd be a more household, a, a, a bigger household name today. Yeah, which is what I kind of assumed. But yeah. I, I was curious if he if he kept working or not. So that's, that's good. It's good. Yeah, no, it looks like he's been working pretty steadily since since the late '80s. So I mean, good for him. Because, I mean, he, he, he had the look. He is, he, for all intents and purposes, to me, what I what I thought when I went back and rewatched this movie was that he's, he's a proto-Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has the same sort of look, the same sort of charisma. Mm-hmm. You could have put Brendan Fraser in this movie and I would not have been able to tell the difference. Yeah. And, I mean, Brendan Fraser plays a very Cliff Secord-esque role in The Mummy. So, yeah. Kind of that roguishly adventurous, charming kind of kind of everyman leading role, which I mean, that's kind of the type of role that these both of those characters are riffing on, quite frankly. Because I mean, this was a comic that was not around in the in the 30s and 40s. I don't think we mentioned that before. It was created in 1982, so I mean, it was it's kind of and it falls out of that. You know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are very popular, so we're grabbing up a bunch of like obscure indie comic properties that have the kind of a quirky, weird sensibility. Um, but also Batman did really well. So we're grabbing up all these pulp 
kind of figures in IP. Uh, and The Rocketeer kind of has a foot in both of those worlds in that he's a, an early 80s indie comic, but also uh, a 1930s-esque pulp-ish character. Um, so he, he kind of fits fits into both of those molds, which means that this probably should have been bigger than it was. And I think had those comics done a little better, maybe the movie would have done a little better. But at the same time, though, like, why why does that got to be the deciding factor, you know? Why does it got to be, like, you know, if there weren't any comics and this was just an idea off the top of somebody's dome piece, just, like, why? Why? Why, audiences? Why early 90s audiences? What what the hell is wrong with you? I don't know, man. Here's the thing, though. I I, I look at all the stuff that kind of missed the boat. Like, I look at our list of failed franchise starters. And I look at some of those early nineties titles and there's some stuff on there that I really legitimately love. And I'm kind of like, why didn't this get a franchise? Um, and the bottom line is I don't, I don't really know. Cause I think there's a lot of like this and Dick Tracy, I think would have had great franchises. Um, but they just, they never were able to get past that first entry, which is kind of a bummer there. There's been talk of reviving the franchise at Disney. Uh, there was uh, an idea or there was a, a news heading floating around in 2012 about rebooting or giving it a, a late sequel. I don't think a sequel would work at this point, but you know, a reboot might. Yeah. I mean, with the, with the resurgence of the superhero movies, you know, and it's so there's definitely um, this uh, is it's something that uh, was uh, the guy we both love Patrick Willems talked about mm. recently on one of his more recent videos about like now there's a resurgence in like nostalgia for the eighties and nineties. The nineties nostalgia wave is coming. Yes, yeah. I was about to say. Because we got the fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion on HBO max. Yep. Um, uh, for, for a very niche audience. I don't know if you know about this, Steven, but the, the old channel from the nineties, early two thousands, uh, G4, uh, that was a big deal for a lot of uh, kids of my age that were into video games and video game culture. Um, I missed that one. They're having a reunion. Um, okay. There's there's the Ariana Grande video that has a Austin Powers reference, very timely Austin Powers reference. Um, yeah, given the subject of Patrick Willems' latest video, yeah. Austin Powers. Um, so the man that's coming back. So you know, it's it's kind of a confluence of you know studios wanting to bank on known IPs because whether it failed at the time or not, it's a known IP. Right. And Uh, there are people like us who, you know, who do have a connection with that, uh, with that particular property. Yeah. So you have that, you've got the nostalgia factor, you've got, you know, superhero movies and the nostalgia and all that. So yeah, it, I think it would absolutely work if they rebooted it now. And I would be here for it. I mean, it would depend a lot would depend on Here's the thing, there's a part of me that thinks they won't do it now because even though they should be the villains in everything now, uh Nazis probably a pretty touchy subject. So Yeah, there's there's uh so the wife and I rewatched Dread last night and mm-hmm. We had that same sort of conversation about like, could they do another dread reboot, like Judge Dread reboot? And we're like, no, that that subject's a little bit too touchy now. I don't think they could do it. Yeah. I mean um, Carl Urban would probably be on board. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, either a sequel or try to reboot the whole thing again. Sure. Um, but either way He'd still be on board either way, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm sure he would. Love Carl Urban. Great 
guy. Um, right, yeah. So thanks, Dread, for launching his career more or less. I mean, he's he was in other things too, but Dread was uh, probably one of his first big starring vehicles for sure. Yeah. Future episode, Dread. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because that movie's great. I've never seen it. I've actually only seen like a like ten minutes of the original Judge Dread movie with Sylvester Stallone and Rob Schneider. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Another future episode of this podcast. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, no, Dread we is should, We should do both great. of those back to back. Yeah, why not? That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Whenever, whenever we decide to cover those. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be in 2021 sometime. We can pretty much guarantee that. Probably. Uh, so yeah, like there's definitely some reboots or uh, sequels that they maybe couldn't do because of subject matter that would right. used to be fine. You know, they used to just Nazis be normal being villains. Yeah. Right. They used to just be normal social commentary. Not anymore. Now it's a little bit too touchy. Yeah. Things, things get loaded really quickly these days. I have noticed. <laughs> yeah. That's an understatement. Uh, our next episode, I plan on talking about uh, some, some interesting unintended, potentially unintended social commentary. So I can't wait. Neither can I. We're recording two today, so it'll it'll be here in a little bit for us. It'll be next week for you guys, but yeah. So look forward to that. Look forward. There's a there's a little hint tease for you. Um, a couple things I do want to point out. So in the comic book, Cliff Secord's girlfriend was uh, was Betty Page, the model Betty Page. Um, really? Yes. Um, he used her likeness, but I don't think he ever said her full name. Uh, the and I should I should credit the creator of the Rocketeer because I don't think I have mentioned his name yet. Uh, his name is Dave Stevens. Uh, he is the guy who created the original graphic novel of the Rocketeer. Um, but he he modeled that character on Betty Page. He, she was a nude model, like the whole nine. Like and you can tell when they cast Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly definitely has that Betty Page esque look to her, um, very much. Um, and in fact, he actually, Dave Stevens, after the movie came out, uh, and after he got his like paycheck, he got in contact with Betty Page's brother and sent him a check to give to her because he felt bad about using her likeness and didn't know if she needed the financial assistance or not. Uh, and then eventually, uh, he and Betty Page ended up meeting and becoming friends. So there's a story with a great ending. I am, I'm very, I'm very happy about that. Um, that, that is a great ending. I mean, you should Betty, also watch the movie The Notorious Betty Page with Gretchen Maul because it is very good. Yeah, no, Betty Page is great. She's she was, uh, you know, she she's kind of like the goth ideal for pinup models yep. over, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Uh, but obviously, you can't really have um, you a you don't want to uh, license have to license that character. Um, for the movie and also you don't want a disney movie where the love interest is a nude model so uh, her name was changed to jenny blake and she was made a film extra um, which honestly ends up serving the plot really well because it puts her in contact with the film's villain neville sinclair so it, it kind of all works out yeah and gives us that great scene of um, them doing a quote-unquote scene together i love it That's, that was that was oh, so good that's so maybe good. the best part of the, that's like the best scene in the movie it, really there, here's the thing i think every scene in this movie is the best scene because the <laughs> they're all great like the the thing i remembered vividly is the the dirigible exploding 
but I had forgotten how they got off of it. So I'm like, oh my word, this thing's exploding and they're up in the air and he doesn't have the rocket pack and oh my word, what's going to happen? And then Howard Hughes comes flying in it and I got those emotions again, like, like I did when I was a kid. I'm like, oh yeah, Howard, here he comes. I got really excited. Um, so, I mean, it all come, it all just came rushing back, man. It was really good. Yeah, just shout out to this movie for making us feel like a kid again. And it, it's good. It's so good. What a fun movie. Seriously. Um, I want to talk about Jennifer Connelly, but I, I, I don't know, man. Oh, another thing that they wanted to do with this movie and Joe Johnston mercifully talked them out of, they wanted to give the Rocketeer, uh, instead of the classic helmet that he uh, had in the comics, Michael Eisner, for some reason, really wanted to give him a NASA bubble helmet. God, Michael which, Eisner, Michael which, Eisner, what are you doing, buddy? Right. He, he wanted just like a NASA style helmet. And uh, Joe Johnston's like, no, that's dumb. Also, let me cast Billy Campbell. Because uh, apparently they didn't want Billy Campbell in this movie either, which I'm just like, man. But but here's the thing. They probably took the box office for this movie and went, see, we were right. Uh, when in fact, they could not have been more wrong because Billy Campbell is perfect and the helmet looks great. And it, I wish that they made more toys for this movie because I, I want a Cliff Secord action figure. I want a Jenny Blake action figure. I want a Neville Sinclair action figure. I want a Lothar action figure. Dang it. You can put them with your Dick Tracy action figures. They'll fit right in. Oh, yeah. It'd be so great. I also wish I had Dick Tracy action figures because uh, they definitely made those, but I didn't have any. Oh, there's so many. They're all over eBay, man. Wouldn't be hard I to know. get all of a sudden. I know. Hey, listeners, if you want to want to do me a solid, uh, send some of those sweet, sweet uh, Dick Tracy action figures my way. I would love it. Um, this movie, as I mentioned before, opened on June 21st, 1991. Um, it opened number four at the box office in its opening week. So already not off to a good, like Joe Johnston said, um, June 20th, they were talking about a sequel. June 22nd, they weren't. Uh, they knew pretty much right away this movie was not going to be the hit they were hoping for. Uh, number one that weekend, uh, one of the one of the great question mark Kevin Costner movies, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, at number one in its second weekend. Uh, total has up to this point grossed $57.5 million uh, in second place uh, holding steady. And it's third weekend is city slickers, the original city slickers, which has earned 47 million and it's in its three weeks in the box office. Um, number three is a movie that I have never heard of called dying young. Uh, I know nothing about this movie. Cannot tell you a thing about this movie, um, but a, Apparently it came out the same week as the Rocketeer and outgrossed it. So there you go. Apparently more people wanted to see that movie than the Rocketeer. Rocketeer was fourth. It opened at $9.6 million. Uh, and let me get its total gross here because it did not do very well. Uh, while I get the total gross for the, uh, uh, the Rocketeer, number five was the Ron Howard, Kurt Russell film Backdraft. I mean, those are all, I mean, with the exception of, the movie you hadn't heard of. Those are all like pretty well-known movies. Yeah. So a pretty good, a pretty good box office for the most part uh, box. Uh, the total box office, total domestic box office for the Rocketeer is 46.5 million. Uh, does not, I do not have any international numbers for it. So there you go. 
So not maybe, a not a big multiplier. Maybe the problem also was just they really they chose a bad opening weekend. It's entirely possible. Like if if this opens, you know, on a weekend where only one of those movies is playing and not yeah all of them, you know, maybe this does better potentially. So. Uh, well, let me let me check and see what's coming the next weekend because uh, the weekend before i mean it still has to contend with city slickers it still has to contend with robin hood the next weekend you've got the new naked gun movie naked gun two and a half uh the smell of fear comes out and that that pretty much runs the box office that weekend uh, rocketeer stays at fourth place uh although dying young slides down to number five so you got that uh and then let me see here for its third weekend you can see now we're getting into the July 4th weekend's the next one. That's the big one. And probably what I would imagine to be one of the biggest movies of 1991, uh, I would say probably one of the best movies of 1991, comes out um, that weekend, a sequel to a great uh, sci-fi slash slasher movie starring one of the biggest stars of the 1980s and 90s, directed by one of the great science fiction filmmakers. Do you have a guess? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... Now you're throwing of, hints at me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing some pretty big hints. Um, starring one of the all-time BA female characters, or featuring one of the all-time BA female characters. Is this, is this when Aliens came out? Not Aliens. Aliens is 96, but same director. So it's a James Cameron film, a James Cameron sequel film in 1991 that features a BA female character. Oh, Terminator 2. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. There we go. So, uh, the best of the James Cameron movies, in my opinion. I've also not seen Titanic, though, so do with that what you will. Yeah, it's not better than T2. Uh, did you? Did James Cameron direct Aliens? He did. And you think T2 is better than Aliens? I do. All right. Yep. Okay. That's the, that's the hill I'm dying on today. Sure. Uh, so, I mentioned that the... Tamam- <laughs> I mentioned that the Thermometer score and the audience score both holding steady at 65 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the Metacritic score is a 61. So it's, it's, I mean, it's still green, still relatively positive. Uh, and then the Letterbox score is a 3.4. So generally uh, pretty favorable reviews on this one uh, by and large. Uh, Brett, what did you rate this movie out of five stars? Uh, I'm hitting it with a four. You know what? I did the same um, because it's it's really good. It's, is it a perfect movie? No, but is it a lot of fun? Hell yeah. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. And uh, I know you will too if you guys revisit this one. Man, just it just makes me smile. It does. It truly, truly does. Yeah, or uh, see it for the first time. If or you, see it for the first time if you haven't, yeah. It's on Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus along with The Mandalorian, which we've already established you should be watching anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome so to that, Disney Plus December, everybody. Yeah, so that's so next week we're going to talk about another title that's on Disney Plus. What is it? Check our Twitter feed. I've left you hints for every movie that we're covering this month. So uh, go check out our Twitter feed, and that Twitter feed can be found at DisenfranchPod. Uh, or if you'd like, you can shoot us an email at DisenfranchPod at gmail.com, uh, and uh, we'll be happy. We, we do check that. Brett, I think, checks it a little more regularly than I do. But we will respond uh, and or read your uh, – your note here on the air and and answer you live on the podcast so hey that's that's a thing that you could look forward to as well is listening to two guys with you know not much in the way of qualifications read your name in a 
fairly public medium. So uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Letterboxd or what the heck, Instagram, I'm at Chewy Walrus on all three platforms. I don't do much on Instagram, but I recently made myself public and I don't care. Whatever. If you want to, you can. It's fine. Uh, it's mostly just pictures of stuff I eat and my dogs. So, you know, there you go if you want. Um, Brett, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me only on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, I've, I've just just scorched earth the rest of social media because that's what it deserves. I mean, fair Um, enough. um, uh, I can be found at gunslinger fire. There you go. All right. So until next week, uh, I'm Stephen Foxworthy and for Brett Wright and myself, uh, something I didn't mention, but really did want to talk about is the fact that the, the, the iconic shot of him in front of the American flag, like blasting off to take on the Nazis. So reminiscent of that final shot in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie where he's on top of the Empire State Building and the American flag's flying behind him. Like, 100%, that's where Sam Raimi got that shot. Like, 100%. I can see that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's the last thing I have to say. <laughs>